This morning, we're going to be looking at um, another one of the compound names of the Lord. And this one is Jehovah Sidkinu. And it means the Lord, our righteousness. That's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get right into it. And as as we as we pray, I ask that you pray for me. I, I'm feeling very uh, a lot of information, and pray for me that God could take all this information and help me as His instrument, put it in a clear, concise way. He says, "Woe to the shepherd!" This I'm sorry, Jeremiah 23. Forgot to mention that part. It's going to be in Jeremiah 23. And beginning in verse 1, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. He said, You have scattered my flock, and you have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock, out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but... As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Father, this morning, I just, God, I want to come before you and I feel very, very much in need this morning of your grace. Um, I pray, Lord, that, that God, that you would get glory for yourself this morning. God, help me. To speak, Lord, clearly, God, in a way that that doesn't take away from what your word is saying. And, oh, God, just help me to speak what was before us, the text. God, open our eyes to see these things, Lord, in a way, God, that you have put them before us. And, Lord, I just want to pray that you'd be each one that's gathered here today, Lord. I don't know everybody's situation. God, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to believe this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning, when he starts here, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Now this is coming right on the hills of Jeremiah, prophesying about Jeconiah and or a Jehoiakim, who was the son of Josiah, and Coniah, who would have been his son. And you got to realize something. Josiah was the last good king that Judah had. I mean, at one point, Josiah, he, he began to reign as a king when he was eight years old. And when he was eight, he he began to to seek the God of, of David. And at 16, he began to clean up the land of all of its idolatry, not only the southern kingdom of Judah, but the northern kingdom of Israel. This was prophesied years before by name that this king would do these things. And at 20, he began to seek the God of his the God, he began to seek his God. At 26, he began to restore, repair the temple. And now while he's repairing the temple, Hilkiah brings a book and he says, we have found the book of the law while we're trying to re- repair the temple. 
And it was the book of the law. And he began to read it. And he began to, to see how they had rejected and how they had offended God. And he tore his clothes and he, he humbled himself. And God said, because it wasn't just what they had done, but he had read the curses pronounced on his people when they had done the things that the kings prior to him had done. And God told him, he said, I'm going to bring this to pass, but not in your days. And so here we are, and he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and they scatter the sheep of my pastor, declares the Lord. And he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. Now, they didn't care for them, but they were put over them as those who should care for his people. These would have been the kings and the prophets. And he says, listen to what he says. He says, you've scattered my flock and you've driven them away and you have not attended to them. And he says, behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Now, if you turn over to chapter 25, listen to what Jeremiah says about this. He says, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning the, all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And he says, now, this was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And Jeremiah, the prophet, spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For He says, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day, he said, the word of the Lord has came to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened he says you have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear although the lord persistently sent to you all his servants the prophets saying turn now every one of you from his evil and evil deeds his evil way and his evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the lord has given to you and your fathers from old and forever he says do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands he says, then I'll do you no harm. He says, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants, and against all these surrounding nations, and I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years." Now, I read a lot, and, and, and that's why I need you to pray for me that I can keep this concise today. You see, those kings and those prophets were prophesying lies to the people. The kings were not only involved in idolatrous worship, but they were leading the people to do it. They were either leading them or driving them to that, or they were scattering the flock. People were going to Egypt. They were going to different countries. You've got to understand something. The kings were in place that they would care for the flock, that they would serve the people, that they would lead them to the throne of the Lord, to, the, to worship God, to make sacrifice unto Him. But he says, you've done opposite of this. And so he says, now, my servant Nebuchadnezzar is going to come, and they're going to take you captive for 70 years. And so that's, that's what the first two verses are dealing with because when the Lord said, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord, you have to understand something, folks. When the Assyrians would come upon villages, these people were, they were beyond cruel. They were beyond cruel. History tells us that, that villages would commit mass suicide when the Assyrians were coming. Because they didn't just come to conquer. They just didn't come to take you prisoner. They were vicious. They would do things like they would flay their people alive. They would skin them alive. And they would stake them to the ground and let the, the, the birds and the, the, you know, whatever come and just, just eat you away till you died. They were horrible. 
God was going to punish his people for their idolatry, for their, their wickedness that they had done. And so what happens is, now look, he says this, then he says, now after the 70 years, look what he says. He says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I'll bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful, and they'll multiply. And so what God is saying, when that 70 years is completed, I'm, I'm going to bring back the remnant of, of my flock, my, my people. And then he says, I'm going to set up shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now, these shepherds he's going to set up here, it's interesting. Most of the time when he's speaking of shepherds, he's speaking of usually kings are a big part of that. Now, we have a problem, though, because in chapter 22, verse 30, it's the last verse of the chapter, speaking of Coniah, he says, this is what the Lord says about him. He says, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in the sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. So what you have is you have this lineage of King David all the way down to Kanai, and then the, the Lord speaks to about this man and says, you can consider him childless. Now, he did have children, but he never had another anybody from his, his lineage ever to, again to sit on the throne of David and rule in Judah. Okay, now you've got to keep that in mind because that's important to what we're going to be looking at today. Does, does everybody understand that? Meaning, at this point... The line of kings has stopped. Even though there are descendants, no one again set upon the throne of David from this lineage. So these shepherds he's speaking of here, he's speaking of Haggai. Haggai was the first wave that came back from Babylon to begin to, to um, inhabit Jerusalem and the land around it. They began to build. The second wave was when Ezra went back and they began to build the temple. And the third wave was when Nehemiah came back and they built the walls up. These were the shepherds he's speaking of. They were not kings. They were governors and they were priests and, and things like that. And they, they governed God's people, but they did not sit on the throne as king. And so God's telling them this. He says, even though I'm going to do this, I'm going to put you 70 years in captivity and it's going to be a... A hard thing when it happens. He tells them while you're there, he says, I want you to build houses. I want you to have families. I want you to enjoy, you know, just make the best of it while you're there. But in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to set these governors over you. Now, I'm going to skip verse 5 and 6 for a second, okay? In verse 7, he says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, what's he speaking of? He's talking about when they came out of Egypt. He says, no longer will that be the saying that we say, but the saying is going to be this. He says, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Okay, so... He's going back to talking about that again. He, that north country was talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And he says, you're going to be there 70 years, and then I'm going to bring you back. Now, in verse 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Now, he says, and he shall reign as king. Now, we have a little bit of a problem here, don't we? At least it looks like a problem. Go back for a moment. Was Kaniah going to have anyone from his offspring ever set on the throne again? Right? I mean, he wasn't going to have that, was he? But here in the midst of this, in the midst of this, troubling times 
Church, let me just say something to you. Anytime we read these compound names of the Lord, if it's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. When we need a sacrifice, the Lord provides, right? I mean, when we, when, when we need uh, peace, what was it, Jehovah Rapha? I mean, the Lord, all these times, every time you look at these compound names of the Lord, it is in a time of dire need to the people of God. And so what the, the time that we see here is, I mean, the, 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 the country is falling apart at the seams. Even while all this is going on and, and these prophecies are being spoke, you've got to understand something. There's also false prophets in, inside the king's house. And they're prophesying, and they're saying, "Hey, don't worry about it. In two years, Kenai uh, uh, or uh, Jehoiakim is going to break off this bondage of Babylon, and we're going to dwell safely." And Jeremiah saying, "You're a lying prophet. God has not spoke to you." And so we have these incredibly troubling times. And in the midst of this prophecy, he's just told Jehoiakim and Kenai. He says. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to punish you. The king of Babylon's going to take you for 70 years. Can you imagine as a nation hearing this? They don't want to hear these words from Jeremiah. But in the midst of this, listen to what he says. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king. Folks, God always leaves a remnant. God's promises are always sure and true and steadfast. Now, how in the world... Now, we see speaking of Christ, and I think we all know that here. How in the world, if, if the lineage... If there was never going to be anybody again of the offspring... Of Kanai, how in the world was Jesus going to reign as king? Well, when you go and you begin to look at the lineages in Matthew and in Luke, you're going to find that they're pretty similar except for one spot in there. Actually, two spots. When it comes from David down to Solomon, you have the royal line. And this is the one that Matthew speaks of, the, 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 the kingly line. And it goes all the way down to Kaniah, all the way down to Joseph, who was Jesus' adopted earthly father, okay? And what that tells you when you read that is that actually Joseph, according to the bloodline, would have been the next king over Judah. But there's a prophecy been spoke saying we, that will never happen. Now, you go to Luke, and where it gets to Solomon, that, that lineage it differs in this. It talks about David's son, Nathan. And here's the bloodline that Christ came through. He didn't come through Solomon. He came through Nathan. And it gets down, and the, and the, and the one difference is, is the, the father, when it lists the father of Joseph, in the book of Matthew, it, I can't remember the guy's name, but in, in Luke it says his name was Healy. It's two different guys. Well, most likely Healy was Mary's father. And you say, well, how, how does that work? Well, Mary would have either been an only child or she would have been the oldest of sisters. And there would have been no son there to be the firstborn. Okay? So when Joseph takes her to be his wife, Jesus legally becomes the firstborn and is now going to sit as king over Israel. Do you get that? Let me tell you something. You cannot outsmart the Lord you cannot outthink him. Jesus, there, here's, this, here's this, what they're looking for. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David. Now, what's he talking about, raise up for David? When you go back to 2 Samuel in the 7th chapter, and if you will, just turn back there with me just for a moment. Just get your Bible kind of warmed up and where you can flip around a little bit. 
David wants to build a house for the Lord. I just lost my place. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And, and he tells Nathan, and Nathan says, do all that's in your heart. And then God speaks to Nathan, and he says, David's not going to build me a house. Okay? But he gets over here and listen to this. He tells David in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and he's, he's speaking to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, he says, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay? He says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. And he says, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, listen to that. Now. People read this and they'll say, well, but, but Solomon, David had provided all the materials, but Solomon built the temple of the Lord, right? Well, he did build the physical temple of the Lord. But Solomon's throne was not an eternal one, was it? No, he didn't rule with a righteous reign. Even though he was a good king, he still had problems, didn't he? still had sin. And so when he says, I'll raise up for David, this is the covenant. This is what we call the Davidic covenant. When God made this covenant with David, he says, your son, the one from your loins, your offspring, he will build me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. Folks, do you realize that when Jesus came on the scene... This is what the people, they, they, they were, they've been looking for this, this deliverance, this righteous king that was going to come and he was going to build this house again. Now look, he says, I'm going to raise up for David a righteous branch. In Isaiah chapter 11, look what he says. He says, there shall come forth a shoot. From the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Have you ever seen a tree that has been knocked over? It's it just for all intents and purposes, it looks like it's dead. Okay? The line of David looked like it was dead. And have you ever seen those trees, and all of a sudden, one day you're walking along there in the springtime, and you see this shoot, this sprout, Coming out of that dead stump. And all of a sudden it begins to grow. And it begins to bear fruit. It's alive and it flourishes, right? Well, that's what he's speaking of here. He's saying, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now listen. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now let me go back and read this. He says he's going to raise up this branch. And he's going to reign as a king. And he's going to deal, listen, wisely. And he's going to execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now listen to these words. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Do you remember when Jesus went down in, into the water with John, his cousin, the John the Baptist? And, and, and John says, you're coming to me? I need to be coming to you to be baptized. And Jesus says, it, it, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. And John baptizes him when he comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit, as a dove descends on him, a voice booms out and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is that branch. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. In one place, Jesus says, I always do those things that are pleasing to my father. 
I always do those things. He says, he will not judge by what his eyes see, or he'll decide disputes by what his ears hear. Do you remember the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? There was no dispute over whether she was guilty or not. They throw her before Jesus and they say, the law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? They didn't care about the woman. They just wanted to see if they could trip him up in his words. He was stooping down, riding on the ground. And he stood up and he says, go ahead, stoner. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He says, only do it this way. Whichever one of you has not committed sin, you throw the first one. You throw the first stone. And he stooped back down and he just started writing on the ground again. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting it the way he said it. And they begin to leave one by one, starting with the oldest to the youngest. He didn't judge things by just the way it looked. He didn't judge things just by the way it was told to him. But he judged with a righteous judgment. He knew what was in man. That's what John, right before we get to chapter 3, he says all these men, these people were just like, oh, just praising. They were, you know, following him. They, they, were, they wanted to follow him. But it says Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in man. Just a few verses later, they were all going to depart and leave him and forsake him and cry out, crucify him. He knew what was in man. And it goes on and he says, he says, but with righteousness, he will judge the poor and he'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips and he shall kill the wicked. Do you realize that those people that Jesus came healing, that the religious elite of the day, they would walk by and ignore those people. Those people, because of their infirmities, were not even allowed in the temple. And Jesus came. He was executing justice. He was executing righteousness. He was caring. He was attending to the people that was around him. Like a shepherd, like a king should do. When it talks about this, it says, with righteousness he shall he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike listen to this, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Do you remember do you remember when the, the, the Sanhedrin, they, they hired some of the soldiers of the Roman Empire. They said, we want you to go and arrest him. And so they go off and they're going to go arrest him. And Jesus is speaking to the crowds. And, and, and after all of this speaking, they return and they said, well, where's he at? Why didn't you arrest him? And those soldiers said, we've never heard anybody speak like this man. We've, they asked him time and time again. They would try to trip him up and they would have to leave because they could not trip him up in his words. And do you remember when he was in the garden praying? And here comes Judas, the betrayer, with the soldiers. And he says, who do you look for? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fell down backwards. He is that branch, that righteous branch, that that son of that 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 son of David that was promised. And he says he shall reign as king. Now we've 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 fixed the problem of how's he reigning as king if he's not coming from the bloodline of Joseph, but yet through Mary's lineage, and he's going to reign as king. But, now this is where you may agree with me and you may not agree with me. We have people, Christians, good good Christians, good solid born-again believers who are going to say, well, he's not reigning as king. They're waiting for a temple to be built in Jerusalem and 
Then he's going to come and raise his, reign as king. Well, well, here's what I'm going to say to that. I'm going to say that that, that may be true. I, I don't have a, a good grasp of eschatology at this time. I know more about what I don't like of all the points than I know what I've kind of put together. So for me to butcher it today and try to tell you, I'm not going to do that to you. But I am going to tell you this. The spiritual is long before the physical. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something today. We have a king and he's reigning. We have a king and he's reigning. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. We are fighting. We just don't fight according to the rules of this world. We have a king and we serve him. Some will say that there's this future physical temple, that, and that may be true. It may be true, but remember, remember the spiritual's long before the physical. I want to show you something, if you will. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? I'm going to begin in verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Listen, folks, when the circumcision, meaning the Jews, would call us, the Gentiles, you are the uncircumcision, it wasn't like this, hey, that's a, that's a name for us. That was a very condescending view, and what it meant was, you're nobodies, you ain't even the covenant people of God, that's us, we're the circumcised. We have the covenant promises of God, not you filthy dogs. That's the way that was meant. And he says, you Gentiles, remember that you were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, at, that you were at that time, you were separated from Christ. And I'm sorry if I didn't tell you where I was going. I'm in chapter 2, and I'm in verse 11. I have a bad problem. Somebody can just say, it. hey, you haven't told us where you're at, and you'll be fine with me. Okay. He says, remember that you were, at that time, now listen to this, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All those things, without Christ, alien, we were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise. We had no hope and we were without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now listen, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, to the Gentile and the Jew. Now listen to this, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, listen to this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, I want to ask you something. When you have a foundation, what are you doing? If you put a foundation down, you're building something, aren't you? You're building a house. And he says, we are built on the, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. Now, listen, in whom the whole structure being joined together, what? It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Church, I happen to believe that that promise that was made to David, that covenant promise that was made to David, that you're going to have a son and he's going to build me a house, I believe he's built that house. And that house is every believer in Christ. 
That's why when the woman of Samaria says, well, you Jews say that it's in Samaria, I mean, it's in Jerusalem where we should worship, but we think it's over here in Samaria. And he says, the day is coming and is now at hand that the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. It won't be about coming to a temple. It won't be about coming to a mountain. It'll be about that God is with us. He dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. We are the house of the Lord. And I just got to tell you something. I, 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 don't know, I don't know how the end times is all going to break down. And I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. Because if I'm wrong, God's right. And I'm okay with that. But God knows my mind. He knows my frame. He knows I'm pretty simple. But I find it hard to see where a building, no matter how glorious, listen, that glorious temple as glorious as it was the one that Solomon built. That was the most glorious one out of the other temples that were built. I believe it so pales in comparison to the house that Christ has built, which is us. Do you see just a little bit why it's important for believers to fellowship together? We are all members of the house of the Lord. Do you see why it is so horrible when we have divisions and we have strife and contention amongst us? Listen, we are the house of the Lord. Now, I believe he's reigning as king. And he's going to deal wisely. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, I believe that all of Jesus' days, he 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 was he lived in such. You ever notice how the apostles, they always seemed so dull. They always seemed to just not quite get it. And after Jesus would speak to a group of people, they would when they would get away and alone to themselves, they would say. Hey, uh, that that you was talking about, can can you kind of tell us what it meant? I mean, he was, can you, can you just imagine what it was like to just walk with him and, and to just physically, I, I know that we need to grow to a place where we, 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 we are there spiritually. But my goodness, I long to see his face. Can you imagine those two men on the way to Emmaus and Jesus had been crucified. Now people are saying he's alive and people are saying they saw him and they don't know what's going on. And Jesus just walks up and he begins to walk with him. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? That would have been like being in New York City when the Twin Towers went down. Some guy walks up and goes, hey, what's all the commotion about? Do you not have a TV, a radio? Do you not have Internet? Or are you just crazy? They said, don't you know what's happened? This Jesus came. We thought he was the one that Abraham spoke of. We thought he was the one that David spoke of. But now they've crucified him. And there's people saying, some of our own are saying he's rose again. We don't even know what's going on. And he says, well, have you not read? And he just starts opening up. He starts showing himself to them through the scriptures. And they walk this seven-mile journey to Emmaus. And they turn in and he acts like he's going to go on. And, and they said, come in and eat with us. Can you imagine letting that guy go, huh? They didn't know who he was. But when he sat down with them to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And when he did, their eyes were open that they could see him and he vanished. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Can you imagine what it was like? He executed justice and wisdom and righteousness all of his days. But I want you to know something. There was never a time that he executed justice as he did right here. And it starts right here. In in Matthew 26 and in 30, they had just finished Passover that he had just instituted the Lord's Supper and in verse 30 of Matthew 26 
he says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, now listen to this. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, you keep in mind, back in Jeremiah, when he starts off, he says, Woe the shepherds who have scattered my sheep, and you've driven them away. But he says, on this night, something's going to happen. He says, they're going to strike the shepherd. He's going to go down for a moment. And when this happens, all the sheep are going to scatter. You need to understand something about sheep. If a shepherd was somehow killed in, in, their, in leading physical sheep and there was some, a, 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 an enemy come in to do this, those sheep would scatter. They would not know what to do because they have no shepherd to lead them. They have no shepherd to protect them and all that. And he says, this night, this is going to happen. It was prophesied way back in Zechariah. This night, this is what's going to happen. There's never been a time, church, that he executed justice and righteousness like he did here. You see, when Jesus came to this world, he lived the life that you couldn't live. See, he has a kingdom. It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of peace. And no, no, no defiled thing will, will be able to enter in there. And so what happened is he lived the life that you couldn't live. He fulfilled the demands of the law. The law said, you want to be righteous? Keep the law. He kept it, but we didn't. So what did he do? He stepped in front of us and said, the penalty that is theirs, put it on me. He fulfilled the demands of the law for breaking the law. That's why when he went to the garden and he says, Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. He says, no, son, there's no other way. There's no other way that they can stand before me justified. And he says, Father, I'm willing to drink that cup. That cup was the wrath of God. They falsely accused him. They spit in his face. They slapped him with their hands. They hit him with their fists. They scourged him. They mocked him. The Romans took his clothes. They stripped him of them. They put a scarlet robe, which meant royalty. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Just think about that. Just picture what they're doing, and they don't even get it. That crown of thorns, it goes back to Abraham when he's up there on the mount with his son Isaac, and he's going to offer him up, and God says, don't do it. He says, I provided this sacrifice. And he sees this ram entangled in what? In these thorns. They take that crown of thorns, meaning this. Jesus, God of God, God the Son, and he humbles himself to become a man and put himself under the curse. See, those thorns were a picture. They were a, a symbol of the curse that was put on man. And they crown him with this curse. And as he's on that cross and he cries out, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried with a loud voice and he died. He gave up the ghost. There was never been a time that he executed justice and righteousness like he did Right then. And so. We get down here. In chapter in verse six of Jeremiah 23, and he says in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Now, once again, people are going to argue with me. They'll debate this. And they'll say, well, now this doesn't come to us. This is only to the Jews. I have a question for you. Who, is, who are the Jews? Now, I am a believer that the Old Testament is to be interpreted in light of the New Testament. And if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 2. 
Romans chapter 2, Jesus, or Paul has just wrote and he has just concluded pretty much everyone under sin. And then the Jews are like, they're going to be arguing with him. And Paul says this in chapter 2, and in, uh, I'm just going to, well, I'm just going to pick up verse 27. He says, and he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. He's basically saying this, you Jews that are boasting and your confidence is in your being circumcised, you think you're the covenant people of God. He says, those who are not physically circumcised but keep the law will condemn you who even though you're circumcised, you don't keep the law. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, we have people that will teach this different than me, and they'll say, well, this is talking about a time to come when the temple is going to be rebuilt and Judah and Israel. Well, my next question to you is this. He says this. He says, and Israel will dwell securely. So, so what is he talking about? If you will, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9 now. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to begin in verse 1. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now listen. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He's talking about his kinsmen according to the flesh. He's talking about national Israel. Those who were Jews by blood birth. He says, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. That's who God had gave all those promises to back in the Old Testament. He says, to them belong the patriarchs. They're the ones that would boast and say, we're of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We look to Moses, David. He says, to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Meaning Christ came from the Jews. He says, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But now listen to this. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are accounted as offspring. Now I want to show you something real quick. In Matthew, in the genealogy... It begins in a very peculiar way. And I know we always hate to start reading in the book of Matthew, right? Starts off that genealogy. How many people have started there and just quit? Listen to the way it, it records it in verse 1. It says, In the book of, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why do you think it was the son of David... And the son of Abraham. You see. We've already discussed why it was the son of David. Because God had made a covenant with David. And he says. You're not going to build me a house. But one that comes from your loins. Your offspring. He will build me a house. Why did it say this about Abraham? Well. Way back in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord, in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, and God has called Abraham, Ab he's Abram at this point, he's called him out of his country, and he's told him in verse 2, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Now, I hear this often on a lot of radio programs, and they'll say, this is why we need to bless Israel, the country over there, because if you bless Israel, then you'll be blessed and all these things. Church, this is where it really needs, it pays to really know what the Word of God says, okay? And he goes on. Abraham was 75 at this time. And you skip down to verse 7, and look what it says. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now that that prophecy is, is quoted again, I think, over here in, I think it's 15. And he says this um, in, verse, in chapter 15. Uh, Abram, now, you remember, he's going to have an offspring. Abram is childless at this point. And Abram says in verse 2, Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He says, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. So he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now turn your Bibles over to Galatians, if you will. We're going to pick up right where we just finished right there. And this is in chapter three. And Paul is talking to the Galatians who have wanted to go back under the law to try to make themselves righteous before God. And so he's asking them about these things. And then he says, in verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you in the works of miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? And he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, skip down, if you will, to, to verse 15. And he says this. He says, To give a human example, brothers, he said, Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. When you think about when parents die, and God forbid, and we have that time when there's going to be the inheritance divided up, it doesn't matter what you want. Somebody's already spoken and said, this is what Blake's going to get. This is what Boyd's going to get. And once that is ratified, that inheritance, once it's, that will is done, nobody can change that. You can't get to the end and go, hey, I, I think I want what Blake's. No, you can't do that. So he says, I'm just going to give you that example. And then he says this. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. So who's this offspring? And does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. I hear today a lot of times people will talk about Israel and they'll say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Folks, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to use that like it's something that we should be doing towards that, listen, that did not preach in the early church, in Jerusalem. Peter did not go around saying, hey, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. No. He began to, somebody might be healed. They'd say, How, who'd you heal? He said, I healed him by Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And you and your fathers and your wicked sins have put him to death, and you need to repent and turn from your sins. If you want peace in Jerusalem, then you must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would warn you this, you start talking to a Jewish person that is not a Christian about Jesus Christ, and they get fiery hot quicker than you can even imagine. I know that from experience. But I don't leave there going, well, peace be to you. I say, you have no peace. Because He is our peace. He is our righteousness. And so, here's what it comes down to. He says... He finishes this. He says, 
There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is only male and female, or there's no male and female. He says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Who has the claim to Abraham today? It is those who are in Christ by faith. We're the ones that can look back to Father Abraham and go, he was promised. And thank God today I'm a child of promise. And I will tell you this, when I read these things and I look at Israel, it breaks my heart. I, I, I remember I was visiting with these girls and there was this guy. They sell those things in the, in, the, in the malls at Christmas time. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I could be actually talking to somebody who's descended down from maybe Moses. I mean, that, that could really be I'm just like, whoa, I wonder if they know this. And then I look at them. And I say, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? We're not allowed to talk about him. We're not to bring his name up. There will be no peace for any person. Now, nationally, I don't know if I understand all that, but I'm telling you individually, there will be no peace outside of Christ. And you see, when you go back to Jeremiah now, when you go back to Jeremiah 23, the whole thing that they were looking for, they wanted to have peace in their land. They wanted to have this. And the only way that was going to happen was when a king of righteousness would come. And so he says, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That's the, that's the only way. That's the only way. Church, I want to ask you a question today. You don't got to answer out loud, but I just want to ask you something. If you're a Christian today, if you're born again, on a scale of 1 to 10, I wonder how righteous you are today. I mean, just think about it. Who would you compare yourself to? John MacArthur? Am I as righteous as John MacArthur? Gosh, man, I wouldn't want to go there. Well, what about what's up it? Anybody here as righteous as Timothy in the Bible? Paul wrote two books to him. Man, he, Paul loved this guy. He encouraged him. Are you as righteous as him? What about Paul? Are you as righteous as Paul? How many of you today would say that you're as righteous as Christ? If you don't know my set-up question, every one of you would say, Oh, no way. Well, I got news for you. If you're not as righteous as Christ, you're going to hell. You think, wait a second. Nobody's as righteous as Christ. I didn't ask you how you was living. I didn't ask you where you was at in your sanctification. I asked you how righteous you were. You see, Abraham, when Abraham, when God told him, he says, Abraham, I know you're 75 and I made this promise and it's been about 10 years and nothing's happened. But I made a promise to you, Abraham. There's going to be a child who's going to come from your loins. It's going to come from your line. And, and, and you, if you can count the stars, that's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. If you can count the, the sand on the seashore, that's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. You know what Abraham responded with? I believe you. And God said, and you're righteous. God imputed righteousness to Abraham. You see, here's what happened. When Jesus, when he executed that justice and that righteousness, he took your sins and he became sin in our place. He died under the wrath of God. Everything that you've ever committed and oh my goodness, some people in here, you can think, well, man, I've had a good life. I haven't really done that things. Really? Can I have your thought life for the last six months? Where we can put it up there and everybody can watch your thought life. That's the scariest thought you've heard all day, isn't it? God knows everything about you in the most minute detail. And he knows it automatically and instantly. There's no searching or trying to find the records on you. There's nothing you've ever did that's ever shocked him. 
everything you've ever done. He died in your place as that. He was guilty. You know, when they would when they would crucify criminals back in the day, you know what they would do? Above them, they would write out the charges against them. You know what the charges against Christ was? He was the king of the Jews. They did it in three languages, so everybody would know he's the king of the Jews. If you believe in Christ today, just like Abraham, that day when you just emptied yourself and you said, I don't have anything to bring. I don't have anything. I mean, when you die, I tell people this a lot of times. I say, you think you're good enough to go to heaven? Let me ask you something. When you stand before God, picture whatever you're, you're counting and whatever you're trusting in. It's in your hands. And say, God, because of this, I should be able to enter into your presence. What is it? Do you think your good works can do it? Isaiah has told us in chapter 64, he says, All of our righteous deeds, our righteous works. He said, there is a filthy garment before the Lord, filth. I don't even. I'm not even going to tell you what that really is talking about. But it's disgusting filth. Now, he didn't say the sins you committed. He said the best that you have to offer. Is he putting you down? Not really. What he's telling you is you needed a savior. You need a righteousness that is not your own. It's not going to be by the church you're in. It's not going to be by your denomination. It's not going to be because you know somebody else. It's not going to be because your baptism or your spoken tongues. There's only one answer when you stand before Lord before the Lord. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. Some of you are still dwelling in the past. You're still looking at all the things you've done wrong. And you're saying there's no way. Man, that sermon sounded good, but there's no way. You're saying, Ronnie, you may be talking to a lot of people in here, but you don't know me. I know this. I know that pride is the biggest sin probably we deal with. And if you're that person that's sitting here today and saying, you don't know all the things I've done, you don't know what I'm doing right now, and, and I just there's no way God could save me, I'll tell you this, that's just one thing more you need to repent of. To say that your, grace, your sin is bigger than God's grace, how dare you? How dare me when I think those things? So when you go back and you look at Jeremiah chapter 23, and you just kind of scan through it, He's talking about things that were happening right then, but you see a snapshot. He says, Woe are the shepherds, he destroyed and scattered the sheep in my pasture. Jesus said in John 10, he says, All the shepherds before me, they didn't come for any other reason than to steal and to kill and destroy. I mean, one of the kings back there was King Ahab. And you know what? King Ahab was a little brat. And Ahab, he was like, Naboth, I really like your vineyard. Oh, can I have it? And Naboth's like, No, you can't have my vineyard. That's part of my inheritance. No, you can't have it. And he goes, and he's crying. I mean, he just pictures baby. He's a king. And his wife comes in. And she says, why are you crying? He goes, I want Naboth's vineyard. He won't give it to me. So she has him killed. He said, they should have been caring for the sheep. They should have been attending. Jesus said, listen, you know what? So many people start off in their Christian walk. And you've been, you've been in the nuttiest churches. I was one of them. I'm telling you, I got some good bragging rights if you want to compare. I got some real nutty stories. And you're going to go, why'd you? How in the world? I mean, sometimes I go, how did I wind up here? You know how you wind up here? Because Jesus said, I call my sheep by name and they hear my voice. When you're in those nutty churches, you're like, yeah, we did that. I used to think, man, why are we doing this? This don't seem to make sense. And you keep hearing this, this voice that's kind of calling out, and you're not sure what it is for a long time, maybe. And then one day you go, oh, my gosh. You know what my prayer was when I lived in Montana? I was in a legalistic church. We were the only church going to heaven. And man, I am just, I'm, with all my might, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm at the church house lighting the fires before Sunday morning meeting. And I'm praying, I'm sweeping the floor, I'm praying, I'm down, and I get up and I keep praying, and I'm just like, Lord, I feel like I'm missing something. Really, Lord, I mean, it's big. 
so big, Lord, but I can't put my finger on it. Fast forward to you a couple years later, we moved back to Oklahoma. I'm driving down the road, and I realize what this big thing that I'm missing is. He has a name, and his name is Jesus. How did I get from there? I, I wasn't looking to get out. I thought I had it figured out. You see, he's this shepherd that cares, and he leads, and he calls us, and he protects us, and he provides for us everything he's provided, our righteousness. The worship team will come back up. I want to encourage you today, listen to me. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Him as your Savior, I'm telling you, you have no chance. You have no chance of standing before Him in right standing. In Job chapter 9, he, one of his friends had just told him all these things. He's just blasting Job. He says, and he's telling him, and, and Job says, I know what you're saying is true, but how can a man stand before God in the right. How can a man be right before God? He says, if I try to justify myself with my mouth, it only condemns me. He gets to the end of that chapter and he says, oh, if there was only a daysman, if there was only a, an arbitrator, a mediator between him and me that could plead for both of us. See, that's what Jesus did when he was extended. He was, he was lifted. He was be, extended between heaven and earth on the cross. He was able to reach down to fallen man because he was fully man. And because he was fully God, he was able to reach up to God and by faith in him to bring us together in the cross. And there's no more enmity between me and him. There's no more that he's, I'm his enemy. He has now not only made me his, his friend, but he's called me his son. You don't know him today, you have no righteousness. And if you know him today, you only have righteousness because you're in him. Don't boast in anything but Christ. May God be with you.